Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this week we are going to discuss episode 21 of season 4 of Supergirl, the episode before the season finale titled Red Dawn. And this episode picks up on the same night as the previous one ended. So that was after Kari got kidnapped. And Alex is still recovering from her whole whirlwind adoption adventure. But for Kara, we start this episode with the bag being taken off her head. I like the idea that she just passively went to whatever new location they took her to, fully aware of where she was, because she could still hear. (laughs) Yeah. And maybe cheat and see a little. Depends. Yeah. Just peek over her glasses. (laughs) And then she got there and wasn't having any of it and (laughs) immediately knocked them out. (laughs) JK, you thought. (laughs) Later on, they're like, how did that reporter? (laughs) But as she tries to escape, Red daughter, Kazani and Kara, pops in and prevents her from leaving. And it was cool to see them interact for the first time directly at this episode. And of course, as we have done before, this offers us the opportunity to compare them as characters in nature versus nurture and the things that they share versus the things that they do not. As for some of the shared things, we had Red Daughter sort of defend Lex and say that like all the horrible things that he did were in service to the world. That's interesting in terms of Kara Danvers because we know that she is capable of anything if she thinks it's the right thing. Mm-hmm. She just happens to have different values. Well, and Kara is also equally quick to defend people. Hmm. Also true. When she thinks they're in the right, like Lena. Speaking of Luthers. <laughs> which ties into the biggest theme of the episode, which is related to memory. Mm-hmm. And also, like, how brains work and changes in the brain. For instance, in terms of memory, we had Otis returning to the hideout that reminded him of his sister. Yeah, and it's interesting because he specifically says that he knows he shouldn't be there, mm. but he misses her. Yeah. <laughs> which is an interesting comment on some of the other things that happen in this episode related to missing your sibling, mm. but also is a nod to this idea of the power of memory and the way we associate certain feelings with certain people. But getting back to that example with Red Daughter, your reasoning for why she was so defensive of Lex tied into this. Uh Uh-huh. It did indeed. She gets really defensive about the way Kara talks about Lex, calls his morality into question, calls his motives related to her into question. And she really gets nitpicky about Kara calling him Lex at all because Mm. Lex played into the fact that the only thing Cosney and Kara has any memory of at all is the word Alex and the emotional association of that being something good. And with Red Daughter's sort of contained existence, most of her memories that she created directly linked to Lex even after she came on the scene. So Yeah, and that was obviously very deliberately orchestrated by Lex so that she would consider him a more positive force in her life than anyone else, which is also why you see like when Kara brings up Mikhail because she finds the picture mm-hmm. and she sees the things that Cosney and Kara's written about him you see that get a reaction because that was somebody she obviously grew very attached to and still remembers in a very specific way and doesn't know yet that Lex manipulated her to lose that attachment and kind of like bind her more closely to him mm, yeah much like we saw a lot of last season with Kara getting a upset over Colville and his cult's kind of like desecration of Mm. all of the things she remembered about her entire homeland. This Kara, too, does not take that lightly. (laughs) 
Yeah, Red Daughter's like entire world is composed of this one person that she cared about, Mikhail, and then Lex and how everything that she knows about the world is directly linked to him. And sort of speaking of some of that information that is linked to Lex, we come back to the various pop culture and like required reading that Lex had her absorb. And we see that Red Daughter has come in contact with fictional villains. <laughs> she says like, is this the part where the villain says we are not so different, you and I? Which then I asked you if that was a reference to any particular piece of media because it just sounded familiar and then you found a giant YouTube cut of like <laughs> every villain ever saying it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the one that specifically it was was from Austin Powers, right? <laughs> Dr. Evil. Yeah. <laughs> that is the biggest one that came up. But speaking of uh, rich, bald villains, <laughs> but that phrase is interesting, of course, because we know that both Red Daughter and Kara see themselves as the hero. Although I don't think Kara necessarily sees Red Daughter as the villain, which is interesting. No, I don't think she does. But continuing on with Lex's <laughs> required reading, Red Daughter quoted the Merchant of Venice. She said, the devil can cite scripture for his purpose. Basically meaning that even a bad person can manipulate something that's meant to be good in order to make it sound palatable. Mm -hmm. Which is just funny because that's Lex's whole deal right now. <laughs> exactly. It's irony. <laughs> but this is not the first time that we've seen Merchant of Venice quoted. Lex wrote in his letter to Lena after he knocked her out and had Eve tie her up in her office. The quote read, The villainy you teach me I will execute and it shall go hard, but I will be better the instruction, which we've talked about in a previous podcast episode and how Lex seemed to give Lena Shakespeare to read. So it's just interesting to see here that he's doing the same sort of thing with Red Daughter. Well, it is also interesting because most people read Shakespeare <laughs> at some point, like mm -hmm. academically, but it's interesting in that he is doing exactly the thing that Red Daughter thinks Kara is doing, which is repurposing things mm -hmm. and spinning them. Also like Lockwood. Well, yes. And also like Lockwood, it's like he picked him for a reason. <laughs> but it's also interesting because one of the big issues in Merchant of Venice is that of prejudice against a minority group, specifically Jews within the play, which then also is interesting given the origins of like the super stories. But the play also gets into questions of what is humanity. It deals with different things related to what is considered like just or merciful and whether or not revenge is the right thing to do. And it also focuses on friendship and love, <laughs> which Lex, how'd you talk around those parts? <laughs> like, you know, he was so annoyed when she got the wrong takeaway from The Great Gatsby. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then in terms of things that Red Daughter shares with Kara, it was funny to see her say her like excuse of know thy enemy, referring to all of the pictures that she had up in her bunker room. Well, and she also stole Kara's diary. <laughs> <laughs> that too. And the excuse is basically, I just needed to get to know you so that I could defeat you. But Which, number one, Kara's like, LOL, <laughs> you didn't do a very good job. <laughs> yeah. And then she really went the extra mile <laughs> in, yeah. the, in her like sadder apartment which is just funny because people like to mention how nice Kara's apartment is and like whether or not she should be able to afford it okay but look at how Kara like built an entire rooftop garden in an <laughs> afternoon like Kara's renovated her apartment herself let's be honest <laughs> fair enough because there's also like Pinteresty lighting and stuff like that oh yeah but also to kind of tie back to the memory thing the fact that that apartment is so run down 
Mm. It looks a little bit like Cosney and Kara's sad bunker. <laughs> yeah, it's like in between. It's a compromise. It's like in between what she secretly wants, but also familiar <laughs> in that it's sad. It's the most Elizabeth Jennings personification <laughs> of I want American culture, but I shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> but when Kara, Kara Danvers enters Cosney and Kara's apartment, you can kind of immediately recognize that it's supposed to be like Kara's apartment. She has that like clothing rack. Although it's smaller, glasses. Multiple pairs of them, even. Yeah. And she apparently took the red blanket that she liked from Kara's apartment. Which I also thought was funny because it reminded me of that scene in Lilo and Stitch where Stitch steals like a blanket <laughs> out of the laundry and wears it like a cape. Mm-hmm. Speaking of aliens that... <laughs> right? Oh, we'll talk about that again. Don't worry. <laughs> and then we see that Red Daughter has her own journal now, which looks like it had a uh, sort of a log of chess moves in it. And then there were also a couple passages that were just general everyday sort of writing, like she was mimicking the style that she had seen Kara use. Mm. And also points to the art department for that because I was thinking about this last week in terms of whether or not anyone would think about the detail of the fact that European handwriting looks very different than American handwriting. Mm. And they did. And it was <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So that's a nurture influence difference between the two cars. Mm-hmm. But a shared thing that they had is a skill with art. We saw drawings in there. Which is interesting in terms of, obviously, they both have a skill with it innately. Hmm. Although I would wager that Cara Danvers is probably more skilled with it because, you know, practice. Practice doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) And then tying back into the memory theme, journals record memory. (laughs) And also, uh, like... Eve's astute observation, paper can't be hacked. (laughs) But it can be stolen. (laughs) It sure can. And then another object in Red Daughter's apartment that ties into memory is the mirror, which you had an observation about. Yeah. So if you didn't notice, this was a little way of getting the audience in on the memory and remembering theme within the episode because there was this really well shot moment of Kara in her Supergirl suit walking past this little kind of bureau with a mirror Mm. and it matches the shot of her from the pilot episode in season one of the first time that she has the suit the way it ends up looking when Wynn is helping her create it. Mm. And that also works really nicely because then later in the episode we see the pilot again in the memories that Alex is being inundated with. Mm -hmm. So that was a nice little circle there. Yeah. So I guess that means that Red Daughter had her own suit in the mirror moment. (laughs) And then in terms of that scene between Red Daughter and Cara Danvers, Red Daughter said, your life could mean so much, which is interesting, again, in terms of their similarities, because they both Mm -hmm. really need that for their life to mean something. Yeah, and that was really an interesting similarity given that you frequently like to bring up how Kara landed on Earth with this sense of purpose kind of already put in her brain (laughs) by her mom and that she felt like she needed to honor the memory of her parents going back to kind of the memory thing, by doing something meaningful with her life. And when we see her in the pilot, she tries to argue to Alex with a very similar rationale to what we hear from Red Daughter in this episode about, you know, I could be doing so much more with my life than just getting coffee for my boss. So it is really neat that they have this same kind of yearning to do something big. Mm -hmm. But only Kara seems to really recognize the kinships there because She's been taught how to feel empathy for people. (laughs) Or perhaps uh, Red Daughter has been taught not to. Actually, yes, that's a better take. I like it. (laughs) 
But that concept is interesting in terms of Cara Danvers and her plot line in this season and how she has, you know, the role of Supergirl, of course, and, and doing important things with her and helping people. But then now she's not like just an assistant, you know, getting coffee. She is also a reporter and is leaning more into the ways that she can help people and make an impact with that role. So that's just a neat tie-in between the two characters. And then recently the show has had some interesting moments of sort of irony with dialogue and like people saying things to Cara that she also feels but can't say that she feels <laughs> because she has a secret identity. But then in this situation, we see that just in terms of Red Daughter saying things that Cara also feels but about Red Daughter. <laughs> she says, how did they do it? What did they say to make you believe? <laughs> and that's uh, everybody's question. How did this Cara, this Red Daughter person turn into who she is? Which we as the audience have seen that process, but the other characters in the show don't know, mm -hmm. which is important as a viewer to remember. <laughs> it is. But it's also really funny that Red Daughter is asking Kara, like, what sold you on America? And then thinking back to flashbacks where Kara's like, yeah, the president was Isaiah Washington. <laughs> I don't care. Like, she, she wasn't really sold on it. She was just kind of tolerating it. Yeah, which is interesting in terms of distinguishing her from Superman mm -hmm. and how she has a multicultural sort of identity, whereas Red Daughter was raised in a very specific environment and prevented from having other points of view. Yeah, we talked about that a lot, especially last season and maybe also in the Mothers and Daughters podcast in terms of Kara's worldview being shaped by the fact that she is very distinctly a bicultural person. Yes. And was raised with two different sets of values, one that was very collective, much like Red Daughter, but then also one that was more individualistic and nurturing in a different kind of way. Yes. <laughs> nurturing. <laughs> the other thing that was cool with this scene is they did a nice job of spinning the original Red Sun comic and taking kind of that Soviet propaganda attitude because this version of Kara has such a disdain for all things representative of America in the same way that a lot of Soviet propaganda did as well. Mm -hmm. And it's there in like the disgust on her face. She's like, the American dream is a lie. Like that's what it, the snake oil thing means. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, who sold it to you then? And then she brings Alex into it, which is just rude. <laughs> but it's also an interesting insight into how she perceives herself and the ways Lex has sold her things. <laughs> mentally mm -hmm. she just assumes that that's what alex would do and car is like no <laughs> <laughs> my family loves me for me <laughs> which of course ties into this nature versus nurture theme that we've been talking about all season it's really prominent in this episode of course <laughs> you don't say <laughs> <laughs> of course connecting with the memory theme and then how like brains function and, and changes in biology but that takes us to the differences in terms of specifically nature and nurture and things we see in this episode. So let's take Nurture. We see that Kara, Kara Danvers, is a more experienced fighter. She's like obviously more skilled in using their shared powers. Mm. Well, and also she's fought other Kryptonians or Kryptonian-like opponents before. <laughs> and then she also has what looks like possibly an increased pain tolerance to kryptonite, which sort of ties into the concept of brains and being rewired and how experiences can fundamentally change you and how you sort of function biologically. Or there is possibly an increased like biological immunity. Oh, like because of repeat exposure? Yeah. But that 
kryptonite sort of chain necklace is very reminiscent of the chain kryptonite necklace from the Superman movie when Lex Luthor put it around Superman's neck and he fell into the pool and Eve Tessmacher saved him. We'll have to see what happens with Eve by the end of this season. <laughs> and then in terms of nature, we realized in this episode that Red Daughter has purple lightning powers, which was a shock, but actually did not come out of nowhere. We've seen the purple lightning before when Red Daughter passed out and they used the defibrillators on her and then the purple lightning shot out from her body. Oh, yeah. And then traveled across the earth and went into the little pills that we saw and kickstarted that whole storyline, which makes me think that it wasn't something that happened after the Harnell transfusion, but something that she had. No, I think it was related to the original yes. Harnell split. So that's sort of a like quote unquote born biological power difference. And then it's interesting, of course, because Red Daughter says, I am evolved. <laughs> she believes in evolution. <laughs> Science. <laughs> and then going back to nurture, this episode was particularly interesting because it aired on Mother's Day, which was really fitting because we saw Red Daughter talk about the differences between herself and Cara Danvers when she said, you protect individuals, that is weakness. And she says this while she is holding Eliza hostage and Eliza's the person who really grounded Kara and kind of gave her the chance to have a childhood and the chance to make those personal connections. And also like taught her that having those connections was important and that somebody like out there that Kara thought was really important to her, you know, her biological mother, wanted her to be loved. So there's sort of a connection to Kara's own ideology that was built up from her relationship with Eliza. Mm. Whereas, of course, Red Daughter says, like, I serve the collective. Mother Russia. <laughs> yes. And she only serves them and doesn't care about individuals. And we've been dealing with <laughs> extremism a lot in this season. Yeah. And the concept that, like, tempering some of your <laughs> views is a good idea. Because we know that Kara Danvers puts the greater good first when she makes decisions, but she also takes into account personal relationships and really cares about it and basically tries to save everyone, like tries to find a way, which is something that is missing here with Red Daughter. And that really ties into Cara Danvers, Supergirl, and her motto, which we saw in this episode. We saw it in season two, sort of briefly mentioned in a conversation at the table, you know, but then we have this scene where it's proudly proclaimed. And this is a line that came from Sir Sterling Gates in his comics for Supergirl. Hope, help, and compassion for all. That's what I stand for, is what she says. And all of these values apply to everybody. So like everybody on Earth, but also individual people. And that, of course, ties back into what we were talking about with Kara and being bicultural and the values that she took from Krypton and then also the sort of individualistic nature of maybe American society. And Red Daughter says, but first admit that you were wrong. Go on, that you defend the corrupt. And Kara like does. It's not wholly an inaccurate statement. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she defends everybody. The concept that like everybody has certain rights, human or alien, even if you do things that are wrong or you are a corrupt person. And this concept of protecting everybody, defending the greater good, but also individuals, takes us to Kara's storyline in this episode in which she is trying to 
protect Earth and America, but also very specifically Alex. And so we had that flashback scene with the Danvers sisters at the very beginning of the episode. Cora says, no one else gets me, no one can get me, when she's talking about not wanting Alex to go to college. And that sentiment there of like no one else being able to understand Kara, both of course ties into how Alex doesn't remember that Kara is an alien. And just the fact that Kara has felt that sense of otherness, particularly in her childhood and teen years. And connecting back to that concept of wanting to protect Alex, in that scene we see her talk about her not wanting to go to college and wanting basically to be with Alex. And then at the start of this episode for Kara, in present time, she is sort of trying to find her, like, afraid of Alex being apart from her. Because she recognizes that Alex might be in danger, tying into her feelings in the previous episode after seeing all the pictures of Alex and herself. And we know for Kara's character, of course, that as I've said, she will put the greater good first and feels like she has to protect Earth primarily. And then secondary to that is, of course, protecting her family. And it was interesting in this season because we see that she feels like she is making things worse for both of those things. She says regarding like the world in episode 18, Crime and Punishment, when the reporter confronts her, she says, I did make things worse. And in episode 19, she talks about being so myopic that she's made things worse. And then for Alex... And Alex's storyline and how she doesn't remember the Supergirl part of Kara's personality and the alien part and how she was stressed about that constantly in Kara's protection. Kara said, I'm what's holding her back when Alex gets so stressed out and distracted by Kara Danvers being in trouble in episode 12. But getting deeper into the protecting Earth arc for Kara this season, it's been basically everywhere, of course, in response to the ongoing crisis with aliens. And in this episode specifically, she's all stressed out and talking to Jean and she says, now they've destroyed all my evidence, so I've got nothing and is really emotional about it, which she did have digital copies of the evidence that she made and like gave it to James. We were wondering if she had made that precaution, but paper can't be hacked, Cara. <laughs> so alas, she did not make physical copies. Yeah. And then to kind of go back to this theme about memory and remembering the fact that Kara finds out Baker's security team has scrubbed the Catco servers is like another subtle reinforcement of this idea because servers are their own form of memory. Mm -hmm. They store things that we want to remember, but not in our actual brains. So that was a nice, cool little loop. But also given some of the other things that happen with memory and remembering and resetting, certain kinds of memory gives us perhaps some hope that someone will find a way to recover that lost information. Hmm. And then in the rest of her stressed speech, she says, Lockwood walked and people think that Supergirl's an assassin and the president is working with a man who's almost blown up the world more than once. So we're seeing the sort of rock bottom of Carr's arc concerning protecting Earth with this list of many things that have gone wrong. There is no pressure. <laughs> and then we're seeing rock bottom in Carr's arc where it concerns protecting her family with Alex being in a lot of danger and then later Eliza because Red Daughter was stalking Kara. And in the last episode, we saw that she had all these pictures of Kara with Alex and Kara with Lena and Kara on her own, but there were red circles around Alex's face. 
Which is disturbing. <laughs> yeah. And then she had a drawing of Alex in her journal, which is also disturbing. And the other interesting thing about that, which I noticed, was that the sketch of Alex in the journal was the only thing that had color on it. And there were red marks on that as well. Mm -hmm. Not the same creepy circles around the <laughs> face like, I'm gonna kill you, but still interesting. Yeah. These uh, little red stars, it looked like. Maybe, yeah. Kind of tying into her suit, actually. But in terms of the red marker and red pen, it does fit her brand as Red Daughter. <laughs> <laughs> it does indeed. And then Kara also talks to Jean in her stressed out speech about how Alex is in danger. And then when Brainy comes in and tells Kara that Alex is looking into the Supergirl clone of Red Daughter, Kara, remembering the pictures in the bunker and Alex's face being circled, says she's going to get herself killed. And Jean says, don't do this. And then Kara races off, <laughs> which is almost exactly what happened with Cosney and Kara, Red Daughter, with Lex when Mikhail was apparently killed. Lex said, don't do this. Listen to me. Luther's bide their time. And then Red Daughter flies away in the same manner. <laughs> and just did exactly what she was going to do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so they both have that reaction to their personal relationships and threats to the people they personally loved. But Well, and it's also worth pointing out, too, that Kara is someone who does not cry easily mm. and she was like pushed to her limit by how unsettled she was and worried about her family she was in this episode because to go back to kind of that memory thing as it ends up relating to trauma specifically with a few of the characters mm. this idea that she could end up losing her whole adoptive family is also tearing at those wounds from losing her biological family as well mm -hmm. we talk about two core beliefs that Kara has as a character and like two core fears, essentially. The fear that she will be abandoned, which is highlighted in her fear about Alex dying, and her fear that she won't be able to protect the world and, and feeling that she is responsible for everything and everyone. <laughs> Tying into that core moment, as I've said quite a few times, where she lost her world and Alora told her to be like extraordinary and protect Earth. So she's kind of hit with a double whammy in this episode of failing to protect the world and now Alex being in danger. And Kara's reaction to the situation with Alex and how she tries to prevent Alex from coming with her to pursue Red Daughter nicely parallels Alex's arc and particularly with the episode Ahimsa, episode four. In this episode, Kara, as Supergirl, tells Alex, no, it's too dangerous. You'll be safer here, director. And then Alex is like, why are you acting so weird? We're hunting her together. And then in the Ahimsa episode, Alex was trying to keep Kara safe, who was in the anti-Kryptonite suit at the time mm -hmm. and had just almost died. <laughs> <laughs> Which happens a lot, as you can see in this episode. Alex Danvers, one fear. <laughs> and then constantly, it's just... Uh, and Alex was acting like weird for their dynamic. And she was sticking to the rules and trying to keep Kara from coming along with her and, you know, fighting the baddie of that episode. And then, of course, we see that both Alex and Kara are having none of that. <laughs> in this episode, Alex says, I told you, you're not leaving me behind. And in Ahimsa, Alex says, I told you to stay put and Kara says, you know, I can't do that. Yeah. And the other neat thing there is that all of the different memories they chose for the end and also the flashback pieces that they added as well reinforce this idea that the two of them are very much kind of each other's backup 
in any and all situations. Yes. But also that Kara being an alien is so bound up in all of that. And the fact that she has the superpowers is such a part of it as well. Mm-hmm. It sure is. But that takes us to Alex and her very similar situation in this episode where she feels the need to protect her family, particularly Kara. And for Alex, we have talked about this a lot. Alex and Kara both share a lot of values in terms of being a positive force in the world and then also wanting to protect their loved ones. For Alex, uh, unlike Kara, the thing that often comes first is protecting her family and her inner circle of loved ones. Uh-huh. <laughs> but we see that she also values protecting the world. In that same episode of Ahimsa, where Alex is stressed out about Kara's safety, she also talks about being stressed out about her role as the director of the DEO and says, I was scared of failing, of letting everybody down, the president, the country, which is <laughs> just funny in terms of Alex and Kara both having the same <laughs> huge sense of responsibility and letting the country down. It's also funny because because Kara carries it so much better. <laughs> oh, Alex. Since she has super strength. <laughs> and we also saw for Alex in the crossover that even that version of her felt a deep need to be a positive force in the world and how she was an agent at the Star Labs. And that was what Kara appealed to in that alternate universe, Alex, when she was trying to get her to join her side. <laughs> And then, of course, we know that Alex is frequently stressed out about protecting Kara. You don't say. <laughs> In that episode, she says, so if someone gets hurt, that's on me. And if someone escapes and fills the air with kryptonite, that's on me. Which, okay. Not wrong. <laughs> and if you had died. Ha, ha. She would have felt responsible for that as well. And as we mentioned, Alex felt that same way in the Menagerie episode, episode 12, when Cara Danvers was in danger. And despite Alex not knowing she's Supergirl, she still got really stressed out about it. And partially because of that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, she saw Cara get bit by some like demon snake thing. Mm -hmm. Cara, it just ripped my coat. I am fine. Alex is like, there is no way you should be fine. And my brain is lying to me, but I don't know why. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then she also comes to the realization that she thinks that she overreacted to that. Mm. And that's been her journey, basically managing that anxiety with the world and with specifically Kara. And that ties into her storyline with the adoption and that process. And Amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's like they are meant to fit together somehow. Yes. Obviously, if Alex were to have a kid, she would have a lot of anxiety to deal with. <laughs> I genuinely, for as much as that scene was really, really wonderful and touching and the actors did a fabulous job with it where Alex is explaining what it feels like to know that Kara is like out there somewhere in the world in danger. I laughed a little. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Because I was like, oh, Alex, if you're this stressed out about your sister, I have some news for you mm. about what having a kid feels like. Yeah. And the quote that she says about Kara and having a sister, she says, it's like a piece of my heart is out there and it's just wandering around in the world and it's on its own and I can't protect it, is a quote that is associated with parenting. It also associated specifically with that amazing gif of someone hugging a lot of puppies and crying about being unable to protect them. (laughs) I can't protect them. That is the entire Space Fam trio in this season and forever. But in a way, it's good that Alex is having the storyline now in sort of preparation for having a kid. And if she is better able to cope with this type of anxiety, Uh it'll be easier for her in the future. Uh, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's the hardest lesson to learn as Mm -hmm. 
a parent in particular, but it's also something she has acknowledged that she needs to learn, like, even with her sister, who is her peer. <laughs> for the rest of her family, Mm -hmm. that sometimes, as scary as it is, you have to let go and just hope for the best. Um, (laughs) Which sort of takes us to this episode and where everything ends up. Um, Hope. Yeah. (laughs) Irrational hope, but it's fine. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But Alex, for peak sadness, gets her memories back just as Kara is dying, (laughs) has died. Like, Like she is actively no longer alive. Yeah. It's like just in time for that. Which, like, in terms of writing and things that I look for and, like, having the most emotional impact, I commend them for this choice. It reminds me of that kind of meme that's come from The Simpsons of, you can see the exact moment where his heart rips in half. Like, yeah, yeah. Alex, I remember now, and you're dying in front of me. Okay. <laughs> But this whole situation, of course, ties into the memory theme that we've been talking about. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, Vivi. <laughs> <laughs> And that whole situation was interesting in terms of the reasons why Alex got her memory back mm-hmm. and the way that they explained it and some other meta steps that we can take in understanding it. Of course, we start the episode with that flashback that I mentioned, which was a dream that Alex had of Alex and Kara clapping along to a song. And Kelly, when Alex wakes up, makes a connection there between the adoption falling through. She says stuff like that isn't just emotional. It can make physiological changes to your brain and to the connection that it makes. Yep, it can. <laughs> Which Kelly is continually very useful <laughs> for our characters. Yeah, and then to go back to the point we raised at the beginning about keeping track of the time passing in this episode, mm-hmm. the whole reason she was there is that this is still that same day later on. And it was very sweet that she decided to keep Alex company and recognize that she wasn't totally okay. Mm-hmm. But it's also, I like how she made that connection and how spot on it was even without knowing about the memory wipe because in the previous episode we have Alex say that she's just gone through this huge loss and she doesn't know how to get beyond it Mm -hmm. and she also lost this other hugely fundamental part Mm. of her relationship dynamic with her sister and so she's in that same emotional space as Kelly said yeah which was a nice catch it's almost (laughs) like she's trained to understand how people work yeah it was just it was so funny to see her be like your sister who was adopted (laughs) i did also laugh because alex is like the same personality type as my child and like i have to do that too (laughs) all of the time she'll be upset about something and i'll be like are you being bothered by this and she'll be like wait no Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and then for like the next hour, I'll just get like an outpouring of feelings. <laughs> but Kelly talks about how that makes physiological changes in your brain, that emotional impact. And in terms of brains rewiring, Alex was in the same emotional state when the adoption didn't go through that she was when she initially took the memories of Supergirl away. Mm-hmm. That fear and like need to protect something and then the sense of loss mm-hmm. and that she also deals with those same emotions later on when Kara is dying in front of her as Supergirl, which is something that can facilitate the retrieval of memories. 
Yeah. So that was really exciting in its own strange way. (laughs) Uh, Not because this was like a happy scenario, but because we finally got a little bit more insight into how some of Jean's mind powers work. And they actually sort of line up with real science of how the brain works. So, yay. (laughs) When Kara's kind of pleading with him to try to reverse it for Alex's safety and also just for her own emotional well-being, Jean says once he blocks off certain memories, you can't really undo it voluntarily and then brings up the idea, well, if Alex remembers it on her own, then maybe that'll be okay and she won't like go nuts from having a dual set of memories. Some more like organic process. (laughs) Yeah, but it's relevant to what has been happening with this idea that the emotional loss or the sense of devastation that Alex is feeling about the adoption is similar to the way she was feeling when they took the memories away. Mm -hmm. Because recent research on specifically trauma-related issues and how the brain works has shown that we do that as a defense mechanism sometimes and will section off very painful or very difficult memories. Mm. And in our non-traumatized state, sometimes won't even recognize that they're there, even if we are displaying symptoms because we lived through those experiences. And we kind of saw that with Alex throughout the middle of the season. Like she would do things that were still very Alex, (laughs) even in relation to Kara without quite understanding why. (laughs) And with this brain research, essentially what it says is that if you can induce a similar state in the brain as to when those memories were first created, you can access them again. And that's what happened in this episode, which was really cool. Yeah. And it was also interesting in terms of that final scene. And as I've mentioned, it was the same situation where she's feeling all those same feelings and seeing Supergirl being killed. But Alex is basically seeing the very thing that she kind of forgot about Supergirl, that she's vulnerable. (laughs) Very literally. Yeah. So in terms of remembering, she is witnessing the missing link in her concept of Supergirl right in front of her, which then also ties into the emotional state that Alex was in at the time of being very aware of how vulnerable Kara was. Mm. And then, you know, what's also interesting in terms of the memories that we see Alex remember, the flashback, the dream that she had at the start of the episode that was later on continued when she was having the flashes and getting all her memories back was of the two of them, Alex and Kara, being in danger and falling off a cliff, which is very fitting (laughs) and sort of symbolic. But then, of course, ends on a hopeful note. The conclusion of that scene is that they're both okay, like Kara flies them up and they don't die, (laughs) which then takes us to the end of the scene in which Kara dies, where Alex has a lot of hope, which is somewhat far-fetched seeming, even, and not necessarily something you would expect from Alex as a character who often talks about her struggle with feeling hope. And that hope is what ends up saving Kara, the idea that she gets of (laughs) their sunlight in the plants. (laughs) Which, yes, definitely, I think almost everyone laughed at just for the sh- – well, it was yes. also like a nice little break in the tension of the scene 
because it just sounded so absurd. And I give Kyler so many points for selling the heck out of that because, (laughs) I mean, it feels realistic looking when we're watching it, but like it was all shot in a studio, like, and there were no special effects at the time. That was just, you know, somehow she managed to do that. (laughs) It's a sad scene. (laughs) And then it's very silly while also being sad at the same time and then turns into hopeful. It's just... You go on a wild emotional ride in that scene. (laughs) Yes. And I can't say I didn't like it. I, no, it was really effective. I enjoyed the time. Yes. You needed that moment of absurdity to be like, wait, what? So that you weren't busy crying profusely. <laughs> yes. But in terms of this concept of hope in Alex at the end of her rope. Haha, <laughs> you made it rhyme. <laughs> an observation that you made with regard to something Brainy says in this episode ties in nicely with what happens to Alex in this scene. Yes. In the unfortunate moment where Brainy is trying to stop his force of reset. He recognizes that Lena's box strategy was not very effective and says that eventually the boxes get opened, which we all understood, generally speaking. But it's also he makes the allusion to the Greek mythology story of Pandora's box, which while it contained many, many bad things, the important part of that particular myth is that even after the box has burst open and unleashed all these things, there is still hope in the bottom. Mm -hmm. And we will address how that relates to Brainy's specifically later when we get to his content. But it's really fitting for Alex here, who the worst thing that she could imagine just happened where her sister died. And then Alex, a character who, as I've said, has struggled with the idea of hope, does hope after the horrible thing has happened, very much like this myth. But hope, of course, is a running theme in the entire show, but also in this episode. Yeah. So we also have this kind of underlying reminder that this show is founded on the concept of being hopeful. Mm -hmm. And you have not just Alex's kind of last ditch hopeful belief that something will help Kara, but you also have Kara with this glimmer of kind of the same desperate hope in her eyes with Jean saying, is it possible that Alex could remember on her own? Mm. And that whole situation made me really happy because of what we had talked about in a previous podcast. And I pointed out that mind powers are like the biggest obstacle to Alex Danvers. <laughs> and mm. she has surmounted them. <laughs> <laughs> she has. And as you said, the hope theme is pretty quintessential to the Supergirl show in general and to Kara as the lead character who believes in hope, help, and compassion for all. And it was so exciting to get to see her say it so affirmatively. Yes. Because this was the first time they really shot it in like a hero moment like that. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's fitting, of course, that a storyline on Supergirl will end in hope, but it is still nice to see with the Alex forgetting Supergirl and that car is an alien storyline, the situation where they don't know whether or not Alex will ever remember this and also the situation where Car literally died and then magic happened and she was okay, <laughs> which takes us to that scene just generally. <laughs> Eric Roscoe, who was one of the writers for this episode and who is leaving the show, So this was his last episode that he penned. He tweeted that this concept of a Kryptonian asking the Earth for sunlight to save their life is from the Dark Knight Returns comic and involved Superman. And he referred to it as fairy tale physiology, which is, I think, fitting in terms of the show and how it deals with like sci-fi elements and science and fuses the magical and mystical with the scientific. And then just a neat little detail. So you have this scene of Kara, a Supergirl, hanging out in the DEO 
on her favorite sunbed table, and Alex is using her science brain to ask <laughs> nosy questions, as we have seen in other contexts. <laughs> and I would love a flashback of her just inundating Kara with all kinds of weird questions at some point, mm-hmm. throwing that out there. But asking, you know, how does it feel to actively burn sunlight? And Kara gives this really cute answer about how it feels like warm and fuzzy and it starts at her toes. And then when you see the scene at the end of the episode, the light actually moves from her feet up towards her head, mm-hmm. which was like a fun little detail. Yeah. And something that was also fun and something you noticed <laughs> regarding the earth contributing to saving Kara's life. Yes. Well, we mentioned a couple of times already, and we mentioned it last week as well, that they aired this episode on Mother's Day. And it's dealing with this idea of like nature versus nurture. And you have this huge emphasis on nurture with Kara and her adoptive family. But you also have Mother Earth coming in here. As literal nature (laughs) contributing as well Uh. to Kara's continued existence on the Earth. Mm -hmm. And it was actually, in its own way, weirdly reminiscent of the scene in World's Finest from season one, the Flash crossover, when Kara's down for the count with Livewire and the citizens of National City step in to save her as an acknowledgement of all of the ways that she protects them. Mm -hmm. And we've seen this build up from season three into season four of Kara taking on this mantle of protecting not just her city, but like everyone and the Mm -hmm. world. And then like the world also literally gives back to her. Yes. Like, no, you can't leave us. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's like silly and sweet at the same time. And then to sort of transition from Mother Earth to Space Dad in Mr. Jean Jones, who has finally come home. He also deals with this concept of wanting to protect his loved ones the same way that Kara and Alex do in this episode. (laughs) And it's just funny because, well, the very first thing he does when he gets back happened in the last episode when he stepped into the confrontation between Lockwood and James and Nia. So there's the first hint that things have gone awry while he has gone. But then the first time that he sees Kara specifically is when she shows up in this episode is when she shows up at his door and has been shot and then like sort of info dumps all of the terrible things that have happened while he was gone. And then like his other role in this episode was sort of to like try to chaperone Nia and Brainy and their attempts to save the aliens who were being rounded up by the Children of Liberty. He tries to protect them and prevent them from following a sort of rash plan. But that situation starts off with Nia having a dream vision of a girl riding a unicorn. (laughs) And it was a kid. So we're, of course, seeing children still be relevant in this season. And then Nia tells Brainy and Jean what happened in the dream, and Brainy helps her interpret it. Yes, which is funny because Brainy had specifically commented to Nia several weeks ago that she's not actually very good at interpreting her dreams, and so (laughs) he finds it hard to trust the odds based on what she says. (laughs) She likes to be in the uh, action. (laughs) Yes. Well, but also, too, just as she had reminded us, you know, her sister, back to families, her sister was the one who studied all the things about symbolic dreams and interpreting them. And she's much more literal. And a lot of the dreams that we've seen her have have been literal. Yeah. So it's true. So Brainy ends up helping her via the internet, <laughs> the magical internet. But Brainy connects the dots from the wolf to the Irish word for wolf and then links that to eventually Ameritech, which is Lex Luthor's 
company he's been using for a cover to do all the nefarious things he wants to do. Yep. And the fact that it's an Irish word is fitting in terms of Lex and linking to Lena. Wouldn't it be funny if he did all of those things and he's eventually planning to blame it on Lena? <laughs> that is, I wouldn't. <laughs> you wouldn't rule that out as a possibility. <laughs> well, Jean Cryer said on the talk, the TV show that funnily appeared in season one and Kat appeared on it as sort of a meta scenario, but it's a real TV show in real life. And he said, on the show that Lex Luthor's plans were even more evil than he thought they were. Well then. (laughs) So we'll have to see where that goes. This could be fun. Yeah. And the other thing that's kind of neat with Nia and this particular dream that she has is that it kept making me think of this phrase about memory and also because memory was so prominent in so many other elements of this episode. And then I remembered that there's this famous painting by Salvador Dali that's called The Persistence of Memory. And it actually has this kind of creature-ish thing in the middle that (laughs) looks like it could be a horse and its coloring is very pale, (laughs) kind of like what was in Nia's nifty dream that she's trying to interpret. Yeah. Well, it wasn't a horse. I'm sorry. It was a unicorn. (laughs) And this is the sort of famous painting of the melted clocks, if that triggers anyone's memory. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And the other thing about that that's really funny is that Dali, the artist, when he was asked what inspired it, he said it was seeing like a hunk of cheese melt in the sun. (laughs) Perfect. Which, going back to Kara talking about the feeling of soaking up solar energy is just a really (laughs) funny like connection to make. Yes. It's on brand. (laughs) Well, and the other thing that's kind of funny with the painting, too, and why this episode made me think of it is that the background has these like mountains and stuff that actually look a lot like the trail that little Kara and Alex are hiking on in the opening flashback. Mm. So it was neat. (laughs) But in the scene in which they interpret the dream, Nia comes up with this plan. She says the Wookiee Gambit, which is a reference to Star Wars. And means nothing to me at all. (laughs) And Brainy is confused and is then thus further shamed (laughs) for not having seen Star Wars because back in season three, Kara was like, has no one shown you Star Wars? And he still hasn't gotten around to it. (laughs) You know what, Brainy? I support you. (laughs) Which is also fitting for the writer of this episode, Eric Carrasco, and his intense love of Star Wars, (laughs) if you follow him on Twitter. Yep. So he squeezed one more reference in there. But they eventually do go along with this concept of the Wookiee Gambit, which is basically letting yourself be kidnapped. And John says, why does everyone Everyone always think getting captured is the best plan, which is a nice sort of continuity of this concept <laughs> that we've seen in this season. Kara first referenced Lois Lane, who is famous even in the pop culture sense for us <laughs> yes. for getting kidnapped and then still being a reporter and then using it to her advantage. And that was when Kara and Nia and Brainy had been kidnapped earlier this season. And of course, Kara was kidnapped in this episode by the president's people. And Eliza was also kidnapped. Right. And then we see that Jean and Nia are kidnapped. And Brainy says, like, this was your plan, right? You know, but his brain is going awry, which we'll talk about. But we see this concept of letting yourself be kidnapped go quite badly, which is sort of a nice conclusion to this concept that has been referenced across the season in much the same way that the little boxes had a conclusion in this episode that turned out to be sort of foreshadowing the whole time. Well, and then related to Nia and her kidnapping plot, (laughs) Brainy, after his inadvertently reset to the factory setting, 
That just reminded me that happens in Toy Story 3. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You have Brainy very coldly say to Jean, I left her behind about Nia because he decides, well, she wanted to be kidnapped. (laughs) We'll take that plan and see how far it goes. And it stands in an interesting contrast to Alex showing up after Kara told her not to and going, well, you're not leaving me behind. What is wrong with you? (laughs) Um, Yes. Which hopefully then Alex as Brainy's life advisor at the DEO will maybe help him remember that he cares <laughs> yeah. using her experience with lost aliens. <sighs> but that whole situation for Jean's character goes quite badly <laughs> in terms of him trying to protect them in that, you know, Nia is carted off along with Jean to have her powers drained and Brady loses all his emotions, <laughs> which takes us to that whole situation with Brainy and how that process occurred and how it connects to the themes that we've been talking about. He starts off this episode telling Alex and Lena that he wants to tell Nia that he's in love with her, which was a great scene just because of their reactions and how he just added it in along with all of the other mission-relevant information. Because he does sort of see it as part of the mission and like a goal he has to reach in order to effectively do all the other things he has to do. Yeah, and we saw him have trouble with this as well back in episode 404. So this was a nice return again again, to this idea. Mm -hmm. He says, if I tell her how I feel, normal function will resume. (laughs) He wants to get his feelings out of the way so that it doesn't like distract him and so he can be efficient, which is actually kind of relevant to Alex's character and trying to be effective at the DEO and on missions while also being really anxious and stressed out about Kara. And the concept of managing those feelings, but we see an extreme way of managing emotions in this episode with Brainy, tying back into that concept of little boxes that have been referenced many times in the season. He basically gets what he wished for in that his feelings are out of the way. Yes. And sort of connecting to this thing we've been talking about of like rewiring your brain and how memories are involved with that and the concept of memory in general. We see that Brainy is like rebooted and he says, what I'm trying to tell you is that my species has ancestral memory and my ancestors, very bad people. (laughs) Which the very bad people was again a reference to a thing that Trump said as a comment about there being very good people Mm -hmm. on both sides of a protest in which neo-nazis killed someone so in case you weren't sure the other brainiacs were like legit terrible yeah but the other part of that quote that brainy says connects back to this concept of when he mentions ancestral memory well the thing about that that's kind of interesting in the way he delivers that whole little monologue is he specifically starts mentioning all this stuff about the fact that he's traveled through time and space and he misses his home essentially Mm. a thing he's been trying to ignore as well the whole season but in mentioning the time travel it's interesting to wonder if part of the reason that this reset took such an extreme tone was because he is in the past where these members of his family line are still like floating around out there in the public consciousness. Like either Jesse Rath or Eric Carrasco mentioned specifically that there were little elements of indigo in his performance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was only a few years ago within the timeline of the show. So it's interesting to consider too, because he's connected to like the whole of the internet or <laughs> anything that stores information he's picking up the information that was left behind by those ancestors 
Mm. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. It was also interesting at the end of that monologue that he gives in which he goes through the full spectrum of emotion, which is something that Eric tweeted was in the script direction. Again, fitting for this concept of emotion versus being fully logical. He says, I remember everything, which is the same thing that Alex says <laughs> to Kara after she dies. Well, and also sort of related to that, this episode specifically presented a number of really nice scenes that stretched the actors quite a bit yeah. in different ways because you had that kind of comedic scene for Sam Witwer mm-hmm. and the cycling through of the emotion and the switch on Brainy, which was really nicely done. You had mm-hmm. some of those really intense scenes for Alex, for Kara. You had a couple as well and then her playing both halves simultaneously. Yeah. So, yeah. It was a nice way for a writer to go out addressing the full spectrum of human emotion. (laughs) (laughs) Wild. It's like that's what stories are about at the end of the day. Emotion (laughs) Mm. and connections between people. Who would have thought... But it's interesting for this episode in terms of another theme, which connects to memory, of course, of nature versus nurture, and how Brainy is sort of rebooted to his base self, like his base physical self, and loses the experiences which have made him himself and changed him. Because he mentioned before about how this was a development for him when he was, you know, in the future. He went from being more like this version of him that we're seeing now to the much more emotionally intelligent and in touch with his feelings version of Brainy that we've been dealing with. Mm. So in terms of nature versus nurture, the experiences that changed him are nurture. And then we're seeing that this nature version of him where he says, you rebooted me, aligned me with my more emotionless ancestors. And then as another nod to Brainy's nature, we saw the reappearance of his blue skin and white hair in this episode. And it's been a while. Yeah. But so Brainy gets what he wished for. He says, I'm free, meaning like of feelings or free to be this version of himself. And he says, yes, I am much more focused, which is interesting because when Brainy was initially sort of strapped down, he was yelling out about Nia and trying to get them not to hurt her. So it's possible that he could have released himself and hacked into their system the whole time, but he was so focused on Nia's safety and and feeling fear that it prevented him from doing that. So we finally found out why all the little ominous bits and pieces about Brainy's past and the way he was raised have been snuck in all season long (laughs) with this turn of events, which... I know a few of us have been speculating that maybe they would introduce one of the other Brainiacs maybe towards the end of the season and set up a big bad for part of next year. But instead, we got this, which is much more exciting (laughs) in an apocalypse kind of way. I'm not saying like forever, and I don't think it actually will last maybe all that long. To kind of go back to that idea of him commenting the line about Pandora's box, because that story ends on a hopeful note. (laughs) And so that to me says Brainy will be fine eventually. Yes. Much like Alex was fine eventually. It's just a question of patience. How long? Yes. (laughs) But I'm not entirely convinced that we won't see another version of Brainiac as a villain, Mm. but we'll just have to see what happens in this next episode to be able to better speculate about what's going to happen in season five. But it is possible that Brainy will be sort of an antagonist character. Although he did have the same goals that Brainy initially started with of taking down the Children of Liberty. He just 
was emotionless and didn't care about the personal safety of his, you know, loved ones, kind of in a similar way with Red Daughter mm. and how she sees the personal emotional connections to individuals as a weakness. <laughs> Season five team up. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then to kind of round out our discussion of the different storylines in this episode, we'll swing over to the somewhat more political storyline which focused heavily, as was fitting for the Mother's Day hmm. theme, on Lena and Lillian and Lena's efforts to find Lex and maybe put a stop to him using her technology in ways she does not like. <laughs> yeah. In terms of the Mother's Day episode and how that connects, we are seeing the full spectrum of kinds of mothers and relationships between mothers and daughters here with Lillian <laughs> and representing a strained relationship. That's a polite way of saying it, yes. <laughs> Quite. Which, along that line of thinking, Lillian said about Lex, when you find out your child was plotting matricide, it tends to cast a pall over the relationship. So maybe to go back to what you've commented on in some of the mothers and daughters podcast stuff, Lillian as a narcissist seems to have acknowledged that perhaps Lex was not quite the golden child she had always <laughs> dreamed he was because mm -hmm. he sure hates her a lot. Yeah. So what is that going to do then for her relationship to Lena as her alternate choice? Although uh, Lena comments that she believes that Lillian's mind still works like Lex's, which ties into that concept of how brains are wired in this episode. And of course, nature and nurture. Mm. And it also relates a little bit to the standoff between Red Daughter and Kara and Kara's point about whether or not Red Daughter really knows her mm. because Lena acknowledges that Lillian understands Lex but then makes the point repeatedly that Lillian doesn't understand her mm. for all that she raised her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she also uses this to her advantage. <laughs> As she should. <laughs> and like sort of one-ups Lillian multiple times, which is not unexpected for Lena. We've seen it happen before a few times in this season regarding Lex and how he was planning to kill Lillian. And also back in season too, when Lena tricked Lillian into thinking that she was suddenly on her side and then handed her over to the police, essentially. So, Well, and also earlier in this season, when she played her to get the information to get James out of trouble. Mm, yes. So it's interesting in terms of kind of like a power fantasy and an abuse scenario, mm, yeah. where Lena is the one who is being put in a position of power and being able to, as an adult, handle Lillian. The other thing that was interesting there in terms of talking about nature and nurture and also this theme related to our brains and whether we can really control how they work or what they do <laughs> is that both Lillian and Lex constantly underestimate Lena mm -hmm. and sell her short because she has feelings. <laughs> yeah. And then they're always surprised. <laughs> it is funny because like we've said before, Lena is really influenced by her own feelings and emotions and in terms of of talking about extremes of being so emotional that you can't handle it. And then Lena and Alex have similar but also different <laughs> situations there. And then we saw the other extreme in this episode with Brainy mm -hmm. getting rid of emotions entirely. But we've seen before that this concept of emotions has come up with Lena and Lillian and how Lillian sort of taunted her with it. In episode 17, she says, do you have to be so emotional? It's disappointing. She's like offended. <laughs> yes. You're a Luther. Why are you having emotions? And she says, I know you're upset that Lex outsmarted you. He hurt your poor little heart. Which Lena then sort of turns on Lillian in this episode concerning Lex and says, 
oh, did he hurt your feelings? In perfect, condescending Lillian voice, which she deserved, frankly. Yes. Lena sometimes has the best of both worlds where she can tap into that sort of serpentine quality and like sly remarks. Nastiness. <laughs> yes, if she needs to, but tries to use it for good with mixed results. <laughs> and continuing with that concept of emotion in this episode, Lena says, well, at least I have a heart. And Lillian says, an overrated organ, which is just funny because then she later on is sort of forced to admit that she does love Lena. In some strange way. <laughs> Which ties into that theme of like rewiring brains because we saw the baby truth seeker attached to Lillian in this episode. We did. And that was also another thing that was meant to trigger the memory of the audience huh. because the last time we saw it was in 410 when the mind wipe storyline started and it came to a nice close in this episode. Mm -hmm. It did. Tricky. <laughs> <laughs> but Lena doesn't intend to ask Lillian whether or not she loves her. She initially thinks that she knows the answer, so she doesn't. But then she says, are you worried about me? And Lillian says, of course, I love you. And then she says, there, you have gotten me to say it, kind of annoyed <laughs> and like bitter <laughs> that she was forced to say that she loves Lena, which is like the worst way that you could find out that somebody loves you, <laughs> particularly a parent. Well, yeah, I was going to say it's also an interesting almost meta commentary on how you can say things that are factually accurate and still manipulate the truth in a way. Oh. Well, because like, yeah, it's true. And she's not happy that she said it, but she can still put spin on it. Mm. Even with this compulsion to tell the truth, you don't know what truth it's going to be. And then you can still put a read on it after the fact in terms of how you meant it or why you meant it the way you did. Mm -hmm. So later on, she could use it to her advantage, as she has tried to do before with Lena, mm -hmm. and something that Lena has recognized that she only says it when she wants something from her. And it's also so nice as a contrast to the Danvers family. <laughs> yeah. Although it is interesting in this episode, we see Lillian say it and mean it in a not nice way, but still mean it. <laughs> because Brenda Strong in a podcast interview had said quite some time ago, I do think she loves her, but I also think she's committed to getting what she wants. And sometimes that gets in the way of the love and it's hurtful to Lena. And we've talked about Lillian as a character before and what she wants. And it's all very self-centered and motivated by her narcissistic personality disorder. <laughs> and also the goals that she has regarding how she wants the world to look and with regard to Lex as her sort of legacy. And that in terms of like an abusive parent who does love their kid but is still abusive is just interesting to see because in some ways it might be easier if you think that the parent doesn't love you at all mm -hmm. because then you can separate it and it's like black and white and like this person's entirely bad and there was no love there. They're not capable of love. But if they are capable of love and still treated you terribly, then maybe it was you or there are other ways that yeah. it kind of can adversely affect your concept of this abusive relationship. So that's quite the revelation. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see how all of the Luthers interact with each other together next week. It sure will. <laughs> <laughs> and then tying back into this concept of brains being rewired, but also memory, you had an observation about Lillian. I did. 
you have Lillian immediately questioning Lena's motives for wanting to find a way to mitigate the effects of the Haranel, and she correctly recognizes that it has to do with James and not necessarily Lockwood. Mm -hmm. But it's also fun to see the way Lillian kind of disdainfully refers to him as Jimmy Mm. repeatedly throughout the episode, just because that's a nod to the fact that she may have had a past awareness of him and association of him through Lex as Superman's pal, (laughs) and that that element of the past hasn't gone away either, in addition to the fact that she's doing it to just get under Lena's skin because it's disrespectful. Yes. (laughs) But James used to go by Jimmy Olsen back when he worked at the Daily Planet and only has gone by James Olsen for the time that we've known him, except for in his relationship with Lena, funnily, where he said that it was okay for her to call him that as sort of a... A really obvious signal that he likes her a lot. (laughs) Since he explained to Kara that the only people who get to call him Jimmy are his mom and Clark. (laughs) Which then takes us to James and Lena in this episode. Which was such a nice little surprise to see them hanging out together again. Been a little while. Yeah, getting their own little action scene. (laughs) Yeah, you had an interesting way of describing them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I was like, now they're a literal power couple, (laughs) which is fantastic. It is. And they sort of work together to confront Lockwood. Well, to confront Lockwood with the specific goal of getting to Lex, which then is interesting because it hasn't really been downplayed this season. Like they've mentioned it repeatedly, but I don't know that the whole audience necessarily remembers it all the time. Having issues with Lex is a point of commonality (laughs) between James and Lena. (laughs) Sure is. And so is dealing with Lockwood and his obnoxious attitude. Mm. So... That was kind of a fun circle back around to seeing both of them confront Lockwood in different ways in this episode. Because when we saw the flashbacks in 403, Man of Steel, at the early part of the season, we saw Lockwood seeking each of them out and trying to get them to hear him out and do things for him. And they both ignore him and now they need him. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that is funny. And in that scene where Lena talks to Lockwood and tries to see what he knows about Lex and if he realizes that they are working together. Surprise! (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) A surprise partner. Alina says, last year you were an out-of-work history professor, and now you're a cabinet member with superpowers. Looking at him skeptically, like, do you think that just happens to people? Like, <laughs> yeah. and, and Lockwood's like, oh, you think this was easy, but oh, Lockwood. It's sort of that conflation of the idea of like privilege with Mm -hmm. you've never experienced personal loss or strife in your life. So Lockwood thinking that because he's lost members of his family and lost his job because of his own behavior. (laughs) Exactly. But that he hasn't been given a leg up in any other way. Well, yeah, which is an interesting commentary on like a male perception of bearing emotional burdens. Like, this was work and I have suffered. Like, you literally got taken out of obscurity and handed a position in the president's cabinet for no reason, and you just didn't question it. <laughs> yeah, because that innate sense of, like, I deserve this. <laughs> exactly. He's been entitled this whole time. <laughs> he sure has. And then karma strikes <laughs> <laughs> with the R and L, and 
now he is becoming ill and is losing his hair, which is sort of fitting because you pointed out that the style is very similar to Richard Spencer's hair. Actual real life glorified Nazi. Yeah. Yes. What a shame. Now he can blame that on Lena too. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of which, that sense of blame is what drives him to find out more information about Lex. Like forget the fact that he's gotten everything he wants because of Lex in terms of being like a horrible racist. And those <laughs> Goals. Hashtag goals, sad face. <laughs> but he seeks out Otis to find out more information about this because he lost his wife and his son hates him and he is now blaming Lex for that in a classic Lockwood move. Because <laughs> that has been consistent with his character this whole time where he has had personal strife, but he is blaming everyone else <laughs> for everything that happened. Correct. But uh, speaking of Lex, we're finally going to see his character again in the next episode, the finale. Ooh. He, the character was only sort of allotted three episodes, so that's why they structured it like this, and he hasn't been sort of trickled throughout the season. He had those first two episodes, the one in which he interacted with Lena primarily, and then the one in which he shaped Red Daughter into the person she is. And now we're seeing him in the finale. So we'll have to see what evil plans he has that we haven't already figured out. So that should be interesting. We haven't hit the bottom yet on this well of terrible to go back to the opening of boxes. <laughs> yeah, so two other big kind of issues that were left at the end of this episode were Kara doesn't know what she's going to do about making people aware of the fact that the government is corrupt and Lex is involved with all of it because she lost her evidence. Mm -hmm. But we did find out that Colonel Haley maybe has some resources who are aware of it as well because she was able to help them get information on some of the other pieces of Lex's plan in this episode. So perhaps she and Kara will be able to come to an understanding and she'll be of more help. And I kind of hope there's more to that because as we're getting into the very last episode, it does feel a little bit like some of the development there is missing. And I don't know if maybe they cut some stuff along the way because while we did see some hints of the evolution of Haley's thoughts throughout the season, it wasn't as well articulated perhaps as it could have been. And so her just immediate acceptance of Supergirl in her space when she had previously been so possessive of that space at the DEO felt like a little bit too convenient. Mm -hmm. I agree with that part in terms of that felt like rushed probably for the episode. Yeah, there was a lot in this episode. <laughs> Yes. I would like her reaction. It would have made more sense for her to be skeptical at first and then convinced through yeah. something, you know, but they probably didn't have the time in terms of what they had to get out in this episode. Exactly. But in terms of her character in general, I sort of disagree. And I don't really need much more from that evolution. I mean, maybe it has to do with like the amount of analysis we do. But in terms of people who don't do that sort of analysis, I've seen positive reactions to this turn. But I mean, your mileage may vary. Yeah. All right. But then in terms of questions of things that were maybe rushed because there was so much in this episode, there were some fans who raised the question of how exactly did Alex get to Midvale so quickly on her motorcycle when we know it takes a long time to get mm -hmm. there from other episodes in the past. 
And apparently that was taken into account at a script level and it just did not translate on screen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eric Carrasco, who has been great again (laughs) with his tweets and insights into the behind the scenes stuff and storyline trivia this season, he said that they had intended for that battle between Red Daughter and Supergirl to go from day into night as if they were actually fighting all day, which I wonder then if there's more of it that was cut or if it was just a decision in the editing. Probably editing because Eric would have likely been on set for that. Oh, true. As a co-writer and just because it's his last episode. So it was likely an editing situation where what they ended up doing was when Red Daughter's lightning went up mm. into the sky, it was supposed to make it darker. But in that moment, it looked like it went from straight day into night. And perhaps they were trying to make a like kind of quirky transition. Yeah, but it looked specifically like it was tied to the powers, mm-hmm. but then it just stayed night. Yes, and as you mentioned, (laughs) Alex got there too fast, so... Well, it would have made sense if she got there at night, if she'd been driving there all day. But that is just interesting in terms of sometimes the things that you have questions about are a result of not, like, one particular person making a mistake, Mm -hmm. especially with the writing. But television, one of the great parts of television is how collaborative it is, but you can't really tell what something you think is wrong or not done as well as it could have been directly came from. You can't point at a single person and be like, that was their idea unless they admit that it was or or there's like a logical situation here where we can rule things out. Yeah. But then in terms of also other scenes that were kind of up to interpretation a little <laughs> bit, there was quite a lot of concern over Cosney and Kara's fate at the mm-hmm. end. You in particular. <laughs> Strong <laughs> well, feelings about it. My initial reaction was, oh, she's obviously not dead. And that was the reaction I also saw from a lot of other people. But then <laughs> doubt creeps in. Uh, <laughs> the box is opened. <laughs> but, and that doesn't seem like they would do that. And that was my initial reaction that, of course, this is another layer to Lex's plan. Possibly. Well, there's two things I will point out about it. Number one, the context in which we see Red Daughter flee the scene, if you will, after she realizes that Kara is dying. Mm -hmm. We see and hear in the episode that Red Daughter hears something that sounds like an explosion and then she kind of has this very worried reaction and zooms off. So it's possible that Lex manipulated the situation Mm -hmm. to make her think he was in danger and all Kara's being Kara. (laughs) Fly off, He played on that to get her to show up so that he could stage his defeat of her. Which would be interesting in terms of Lex observing her and and that scene that we talked about in this podcast episode and how she will rush unthinkingly because of personal relationships and things that she cares about. Well, yes, but it also ties back into the other thing that we saw throughout this episode. Kara's biggest fear of the entire episode was that something would happen to Alex. Mm -hmm. But then we also didn't see that at all. (laughs) We still don't know exactly what Red Daughter heard. So that aspect of it makes me think that we will get more information on that. But there is also the fact that we've seen Lex and Eve willing to repeatedly kill Otis Graves and bring him back to life. Mm, yes. To manipulate him and use him for different purposes. So this could be similar. So it could have been the exact situation that we described where Lex lures Red Daughter to him and then kills her, but then <laughs> brings her back to life or near kills her. And then. Well, we know he knows how because they had all that Haranel stuff. Yeah. So, hmm. There's a lot to to find out next week in the season four finale. Yeah. So if you want to come share your theories, feelings, 
or other ideas about what might happen in the finale or which particular parts of this episode hurt you in the feelings, <laughs> feel free to come and bug us on Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at Supergirls Attic. And if you're thinking about refreshing your memory on what happened earlier in this season in advance of summer break starting for the show, <laughs> you can also go find our whole episode collection on our site at podcast.supergirlsaddict.com or on your favorite podcasting app. Mm -hmm. And if you are feeling in the mothers and daughters mood, we have an episode just for you. <laughs> Specifically. <laughs> so you can check out episode four of our podcast on the various platforms that we have available to you guys now. And uh, we also have specific episodes about the Danvers sisters and the Danvers sisters plus their mom, mm -hmm. which I know that you've all been looking at because those are actually <laughs> our top rated episodes right now that aren't the new ones. Mm -hmm. And those are episodes 7 and 17, mm -hmm. in case you're looking for extra Car and Alex feelings this week. Yes, in preparation for the feelings we'll probably get next week. <laughs> so that wraps up our episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>